Amen. You may be seated. Uh, so there's probably a, a little bit of a mix-up in the communication here. Um, I said to the, uh, to the worship uh, group that I need about an hour for my sermon. And, uh, and here we are. Anyway, um, I hope you don't have plans for lunch. Uh, or at least things can be moved on. Um, so I'm going to... Uh, no, that was a great time of... Um, uh, of worship, great time to come around testimonies uh, and the communion table. Um, and so uh, uh, I'm going to keep things brief this morning. Uh, so, we have an oxymoron to say Craig and brief in the same <laughs> sentence. Uh, that's unfortunate. Uh, anyway, all I said was that I would try and keep it brief. Okay, I didn't say I would keep it brief, that would be a lie. I'm trying to keep it brief, okay, all right. Uh, we're in the sixth week of our sermon series uh, on metamorphosis, um, so you're all looking much more like butterflies. Yay! Yeah, well, that's either room. Uh, yeah, we'll get that, okay, all right. It's no judgment, no judgment there. Hey, I didn't say it, I didn't say all right. Okay. <laughs> So we've, we've already tackled all four areas, but we're coming back to um, uh, uh, a couple of the areas uh, twice, uh, which is just as well because, uh, you know, you had 10 minutes from Jamie a couple of weeks ago on Ecclesia, uh, and you'll get about 10 minutes today. So uh, it's almost like one message on, uh, on Ecclesia. Uh, so uh, as the refresher, what have we talked about? The four areas, awakened, prayer, commissioned and Ecclesia. So uh, when Jamie said this morning he was a little bit confused and he's thinking about ecclesiology, he's obviously thinking about my sermon, uh, as opposed to eschatology, that's what he was doing there, uh, eschatology. So uh, what is eschatology? Just as an advert, it's the study of last things, okay? And everyone's thinking that would be a really good sermon at the moment, hoping he's going to wrap up with the last things. I'll skip straight to my conclusion. Uh, no, uh, at this time in the world, there's uh, lots of stuff going on, um, and there has been uh, some concerns raised about how does this fit into the prophetic plan of God? Uh, what does that mean? Uh, and so I'm going to run a, a what we call an eschatology primer, a teaser, a bit of a lead-in intro session on the 20th, so that's not tomorrow, but Monday following at seven o'clock here, if you're interested in eschatology and we just want to gauge what sort of level of their interest there is, um, I'm not going to get through the entire subject um, in uh, an hour and a half, but it should be an introduction to figure out where we are on the prophetic horizon uh, for those of you who have a futurist viewpoint. If you're a praetorist, come along anyway. Um, if you don't know what a praetorist is, you should come along anyway. Okay, so uh, just an advertisement. So Monday, it'll be in the newsletter, but Monday week, we're going to run a, a bit of a, a lesson on that. Okay, so back to uh, Ecclesia. Uh, what was Ecclesia? Ecclesia was the church. We heard that uh, in the introduction uh, when, when I talked about that, and our key verse for the series was 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, it says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The whole part of, uh, or point of this message is metamorphosis. We're being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. 
from one. It's not like we're we're you know we're right down here and we're going to here, but we're we've the the glory of Christ is within us, and yet we still need to make this move to take hold of that image and make it more evident in our lives. But today we're doing the end. We all part of that verse. Okay, we all are the church. Um, so I'm going to start this morning as I finish with my conclusion. Uh, no, no, start this morning with a quote. I'm not going to tell you who said this, uh, but here is the quote. Let us make it clear from the very beginning that the established religious system, which manifests itself in the abomination called church, is not of God. We intend to make it very clear by studying the Greek words found in the New Testament that the pattern which God intends his people to follow and live by is the ecclesia system and is radically different than that which calls itself church in our day. As you read this short study, the truth will dawn on you that Christians today have been fed a lie and that they have been enslaved by the religious systems of men. If you truly love Jesus and desire to follow him in total obedience, then you must seriously consider the facts that follow. We encourage each and every person who names the name of Christ to pray fast and seek God concerning the important differences between how the first Christians lived and how Christians live today. So what do you think? Are you feeling enslaved to the religious system this morning? Uh, I'm glad you turn up to this abomination that we call church. Oh, that's pretty harsh words, pretty harsh words. Um, that was a website called Aggressive Christianity, and I'm not necessarily endorsing their message at all. Uh, but there is, within our culture, an issue with church. And, and, and the issue is, is, what do we understand church to be? Is this person right? Are we guilty of, of not being the church that Christ uh, wanted to build? Or are we doing things right? Is this person just living on another planet? Everyone has their axe to grind. Everyone has their message uh, to, to, uh, to promote. And uh, that was his particular point of view. But it sort of begs the question, do we understand what church really is? Now, the article goes on to explain that the word that we use for church is not the word that we find in the New Testament. Right? In the Greek, the word translated as church is ecclesia. We're all good with that. But the word church doesn't come from the Greek word ecclesia in our language. The word church comes from the Greek word kuriakos, which changed to kirk in, or kirk in the uh, Scottish and Northern English, which is where we get the word church from. So have we missed the point? Are we talking about the wrong thing? Kuriakos is found in the New Testament. It actually means the Lord's place or the Lord's, actually, and place is sort of added on the end. So are we being the kuriakos when we should be the ecclesia? And what is the difference? Uh, so think about it this way. Uh, it wouldn't be a sermon of mine if there wasn't some sort of language lesson in the middle there. Uh, we would say it this way. We went to the church as the church to have church. 
We went to the church as the church to have church. Now, this would be clearer, strangely, in the Greek. Strangely. We went to the Kyriakos as the ecclesia to have koinonia. Okay? And so when we say the word church, which, which meaning of church are we talking about? Kyriakos is literally the Lord's. It came to mean the Lord's place, in which was what we think of as a church building. The place dedicated to the Lord. Ecclesia, as we found out in week one of the series, means the called out ones. And so that's the assembly or the congregation, a group of people called together for a specific purpose. And koinonia is that word for fellowship or in the King James English communion. We consider it as the purpose of meeting together is to fellowship one with another and with God. And so we have all of those three meanings In that word church, we went to the church as the church to have church could be saying in in the same way we went to the Lord's building as the assembly of God to have fellowship with God and with one another. But what does church conjure up in your mind? That's really the question that you have to ask yourself. Is it the building? Is it the established religious system, which is what that first quote was really saying? You know, we are the church, and it's about the hierarchy, and it's about the system, and it's about the processes and rituals. Is it the assembly of the people? Is that church? Is it the service? Do we go to church? Do we be the church? Or do we do church? That's all wrapped up in that word ecclesia. Now, remember that Jesus isn't coming back for you or I. Jesus is not coming back for you or I. Jesus is coming back for his church. So figuring out whether you're in or out is probably a bit of a big deal. You say, I'm a Christian, but I'm not part of the church. Jesus is not coming back for you. Don't try and think about that too much. Uh, what do we think about church? Here's a, an example which everyone here will probably relate to. A man was marooned on a desolate island. You won't relate to that part of it. Uh, but after he'd been there alone for five years, he was found and rescued. As he climbed into the rescue boat, the curious rescuers noticed there were three grass huts. And they said to him, we thought you were alone. Why are there three huts? The man replied, the first hut is my home. The third hut is my church. And they said, what about the second hut? He said, oh, I don't really like to, t- uh, like to talk about that too much. That's the church I used to belong to. <laughs> Oftentimes we're faced with this, you know, where am I going to church rather than being the church. I'm going to define the church as being the assembly of people who are dedicated to pursuing the purposes of Christ. Church is an assembly of people who are dedicated to pursuing the purposes of Christ. Are you the church? Because if you just come here on a Sunday, then Are you really pursuing the purposes of Christ? Is that what Christ has asked us to do? As Christians, you know, we we often talk about the the Sunday Christians, and I'm hoping that none of you here are Sunday Christians. Sunday Christians are the ones who go uh, to church on Sunday, and then the rest of the week they're not pursuing Christ at all. 
We gather together as people who are pursuing Christ in every part of our life, and we do that on Sundays. It's different from saying, I actually come and pursue Christ on Sunday morning, and I pursue all the other things I want to pursue during the week, because, hey, that's my time. That's not the church. That's not the church. Uh, in uh, North America, they have ETC Christians, etc. Christians. ETC, Easter, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. Okay. So what are we supposed to be doing? You see, the church is meeting together to do something, to be something, to pursue the purposes of Christ. What does that mean? Well, that means we need to be a people who are doing what Christ intended us to. To do, uh, Pastor Rick Warren, he says that we are uh, the pro- the purpose of the church is to bring people to Jesus and membership in His family, develop them to Christ-like maturity, equip them for their ministry in church and life, in order to magnify God's name. And really, that's that process of the Christian walk, and is, is that getting saved is not the end of the journey; it's the first. It's part of the journey. And we need to be equipping people. Church is the place where we build people up, where we release people in their ministry, not so that they can do more church. That's not the, not the, the goal of what we're doing. It's so that we can go out and advance the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, it doesn't get advanced by sitting here in a building. Okay? Hopefully some people, uh, you know, type in online and they'll see a sermon, but that's, that's not the mechanism that God intended I'm not denying that people can't get saved in their living room watching a podcast. But that's not the, the plan that, that Christ has. That's not putting the, being the hands and feet of Christ. So what are we supposed to be doing? Uh, in the first century church, uh, in the early church, there were four things that they focused on. And the first one was worship. I think we've done a pretty good job this morning of understanding that worship is not just about singing the songs, but about coming to God in surrender, about uh, really approaching his throne, about giving him adoration in every situation. That's what worship is about. Uh, I was going to read, uh, I'll I'll, I'll throw in Acts 16.23, a good example of worship here. Acts 16.23 says, after they had been severely flogged, They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. I think if we added flogging to the worship service, we will beat you with a stick until you sing like a choir of angels. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. That's building doctrine on one verse there. I probably should move on. After they had been severely flogged, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. This is a lifestyle of worship. After they had been severely flogged, they're in chains, they're in prison, and still the adoration of God, the ability to bring praise and worship to a God who is merciful and good is still in their hearts. That's really an attitude of worship. So we should have worship. Worship should be in our hearts. Hebrews 10 Uh, 22 through 25 talks about fellowship. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And they are great words, but Hebrews goes on in the next couple of verses and says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's not enough just to, to be recognizing that that God, that we are surrendered with, uh, before God, that our hearts are sprinkled, that we are cleansed, that we are clean. And out of that, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Because as we meet together, we can encourage one another. We can lift each other up. We can, we can challenge each other. We can put each other on the path. The whole point of fellowship is not that we have some sort of club. Uh, you know, I was bored on Sunday morning. I went to church. That's not the purpose. The purpose of fellowship is that we are encouraging one another to go out and advance the kingdom of God. But fellowship is more than that. The parable of the Good Samaritan was the response to a question, who is my neighbor? You see, we've talked about loving God with all our heart. That's worship. And the second part, love your neighbor as yourself. And they said, well, who is my neighbor? It's, give you a clue here, not the person sitting next to you in the pew. Yeah, that's one of your neighbors. But out, out there, outside of the four walls, are a whole bunch more neighbors that we need to be ministering to. And so we need to be having fellowship with the world. <gasps> All those sinners. I can't, I'm surrounded by sinners. Well, in here you're surrounded by sinners, so get used to it. All right. <laughs> we're, talking about, we're talking about shining a light amongst others so that they may glorify God. How do you do that when you're sitting inside these four walls? All right, so that's the second thing. We've done worship. We've done fellowship. Here's my favorite. Sound doctrine. Oh, Craig, you can't talk about doctrine. Really, that's part of church? Doctrine? Yeah, okay, it's part of, doc uh, part of church. Uh, oftentimes, the word doctrine actually raises the, oh, yeah, doctrines. That's, that's like the nasty stuff because where we have doctrine, we have division. Ouch, ouch, eh? Uh, we're all supposed to be tolerant these days. Uh, the only thing you're not allowed to be tolerant of is intolerance. Yeah, okay, go figure. All right, the definition of doctrine is a belief accepted as authoritative by a particular group. So if you don't have our beliefs, then you obviously don't belong to our group. That's how we treat doctrine, but doctrine is not like that. Uh, there's a great line in one of the Charles Schultz Peanuts uh, cartoons. If you want to have good theology, go and read uh, Peanuts. So it's raining cats and dogs outside the window, and Lucy uh, asks the most profound question of the day, and she says, Boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? Fully up to the occasion, as usual, Linus, the resident theologian, answers that a worldwide flood is impossible since Genesis 9 promises that God will never again flood the earth. <laughs> Obviously relieved, Lucy sighs, you've taken a great load off my mind. And Linus's final summation, sound theology has a way of doing that. Sound theology has a way of doing that. 
You see, doctrine is not about causing division. Doctrine is about thinking right. Uh, I put a little uh, uh, diagram in one of the theological papers I wrote uh, last week. It says, orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy need to come together to give you spiritual maturity. Of course, and it's obvious, isn't it? It's right. right thinking, right doing, and right uh, uh, doctrine is where spiritual maturity lives. We do the right thing, we think the right thing, and we believe the right thing. That's where spiritual maturity exists. And if we don't have the right thinking, you only need to go to uh, uh, parts of the world where their teaching is a little bit shady uh, to realize how much the doctrines impact their behaviors. So sound doctrine is important. Uh, And the last thing, so we got, what was the first one? Worship. Worship, okay. And the second one? Fellowship. And the third one? Spreadsheets. No, you said spreadsheets. Spreadsheets. If there was a number five, it would be spreadsheets. But that's okay. Uh, Sound doctrine, sound teaching. Okay, the fourth one is works. (gasps) Another word that we don't like. After all, we're saved by grace. What's this works thing that's uh, part of the church definition? Remember, we're looking at that first century church and we're asking them, what were they doing that we should be emulating? Are we true to what that original quote was that said the church today is nothing like the first century church or the church that Jesus started? Well, we're looking at the first century church and we can judge ourselves against that. So the last thing there is works. No one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Uh, If you think that's bad, it gets worse. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. And if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. Hallelujah. That's fantastic. Great. We'll leave it there. No one wants to hear verse 15, which says, if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. What? What do you mean if it's burned up? All the stuff I'm doing for God could just be burnt up. I've, I've walked through the flames. I've presented to God, God, this is what I've done for you. And all I've got is ash on my hands. Ouch, ouch, who wants to be in that position? Now, verse 15 finishes, he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Uh, When you see a a picture, think of a picture like this, as as a house has burst into flames and people have to rush out, stand on the front lawn and wait for the fire brigade. And you often see on the news stories that after the fire has been spent, they're picking through what remains of their house, trying to find something of value. That could be us standing in front of Christ if we're doing the wrong things. Ouch, that's a pretty tough word. Okay, what are we supposed to be doing? Because if we're doing the wrong things, you should stop doing it. We want to be doing the gold, silver, and costly stones. We don't want to be doing the wood, hay, and stubble. Uh, Matthew 25 gives us a good starting point. 
It says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right. Oh, sheep. And He will put the goats on His left. There are an awful lot of goats this morning. Wow. So... Contrary to, uh, to Pastor Phil's prophetic word earlier, that this side eh, was getting judged. Now you guys are the sheep. Uh, what happens to the sheep? Well, well, let me tell you. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And he goes on to list a few things, and they say, of course, well, when did we do this? And he said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did to me. And then, of course, the ones on the left, sorry, guys, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Does anybody want to move uh, to the, everyone's just like, if he's shuffling over, no, it's not really me, I'm not a goat, Okay. Uh, well, why are they getting thrown into the fire? He says, because I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. And they said, we didn't see you, Lord. You know, if somebody had turned up with a Jesus name tag and said, I'm hungry, I'm sure, you would have bought them a pie. A pie? Why not a pie? What's I like pies. All right. Okay. <laughs> a little too much. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> He says, Whatever, you didn't do this for the least of these. And so there's a really good indication, what works are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be doing works that involve people. Because people have eternal value, things do not. Things are temporal, people last for eternity. Where they last for eternity is the thing that we should be very concerned about. Because the, the job of the church, the works that the church is to be doing, is to advance the kingdom of God, and that is a people focus for everything that we do. All right. Now, we've talked about the church as the assembly of people, and there is a corporate aspect to all of these, but there's also a personal aspect to all of these. And perhaps you could sit there and you could give us a score out of 10, and I'm suggesting you don't email that to the office, um, <clears throat> about how we're doing in each of those areas. How do we worship corporately? How do we fellowship corporately? How do we teach corporately? How do we work corporately? But there's a responsibility as the local church, and then there is the church universal. We don't use the word Catholic church these days, because everyone has a connotation of what the Catholic church is. But that word Catholic just means universal. It's the universal church that we're part of, the body of Christ. And whether we're sitting here on a Sunday morning or doing something with Zion is one part of it. But what are we doing for ourselves? There's that personal aspect that says, are you pursuing worship in your life? It's not just whether you sang the songs on Sunday morning. It's what does the worship look like when you leave here today? What does worship look like for the rest of your week? And I'm not talking about putting a song on the CD player and singing along. That's one 
small aspect of the worship of our lives. Are we doing the Romans 12 version of worship where we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice? What about fellowship? We join with, with, with each other on a Sunday and we break bread together and, and we have that time of fellowship each with the other in the body. But are we fellowshipping with others outside of the body? Are we intentional about making connections with people in the community? Are we actually saying, I'm going to go to connect, not wait to connect? We can listen to the scriptures being taught on Sunday and we can have someone else open up the word of God and we can uh, bring them hopefully, hopefully, sound doctrine and teaching. Uh, it's not always true. Uh, but what are we doing for ourselves? Are we, are we digging into the word ourselves, finding the nuggets that God has hidden for us alone? Are we checking what we've heard against reading the scripture for ourselves or do we just absorb? Why do you believe that? Because a pastor told me once. We can be part of the works that the church is doing, as many of you were a couple of weeks ago as we went out into the community, but what about doing that on your own? What about going out into the community to extend the hand of God to those in need? You don't have to wait for a church working bee to work. You don't have to wait for the church to go to the rest home to go visit. You don't have to wait for the church to be involved in something when you see a need that you can look at it and deal with it yourself. That's extending the hand of God. As individuals, we need to put skin on our faith in ministry to others. So that's a really short, uh, for me, uh, message. Everyone's thinking that, was, that wasn't that short. Uh, but here's the tough question. How do you rate yourself in these areas? We talk about rating the church, and you say, ah, we as a church could do better. Uh, I love the Dilbert cartoon that says, who wants change? Everybody puts their hand up. Okay, who wants to change? Nothing. Okay, it's really easy to say, we need to do better. But the rubber meets the road when we say, I need to do better. Metamorphosis is about closing the gap between where you are and where you need to be. And if you think that you're perfect already, transformation will not happen. When we understand that we need to be transformed, when we understand that staring into the image of Christ should bring us a revelation of where we need to go, then we can be transformed. As we steer into this thing that Jesus calls the church, we should be being transformed into the image of the church that Jesus had. As we steer into this thing called the church, we should be transformed personally into doing the things that God called us as an assembly of people who are pursuing the purposes of Christ. That's what we're stepping into. So this morning, you can, you can uh, ponder the ecclesia, the church. Do we deserve the comments at the start where the church is just a religious system that we're enslaved to? Or really is the church an expression of the freedom that we have in Christ? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have 
created this body, this assembly. Lord, that we don't have to run the race alone, that we don't have to, uh, have to believe that we are, uh, are pursuing you just in isolation, but rather that you've created the church that we can run the race with others encouraging us, with others running along beside us, with others picking us up when we fall, with others dragging us toward the finish line, with others correcting our course. Lord, I pray that your church here would be strong. Lord, it would be a, a, a pure image of what you desire the church to be. And Lord, I pray if there's something in, in our, our own hearts, in my heart, Lord, that needs to change either in a way of thinking, a way of behaving, Lord, a way of believing, Lord, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would illuminate that, Lord, so that as I see, as we see the gap, Lord, I pray that we would be transformed closer and closer into the image that you desire for us, both corporately and personally. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you pour out on us. We thank you for the grace that you extend. I pray that we would not waste that grace, but rather we would use that grace as our springboard to move towards you and your holiness and your perfection. We thank you for these things, knowing that the only way we can ever succeed is through your help, your strength, your power within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.